Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord with a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians. And today we have Confessor Pastor David Weist, who is the pastor of Concordia in Evansville, Indiana. Pastor Weist, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on here. And uh, just for the sake of our listeners, I know that uh, last week we set up and we've been promoting that we were going to have a special episode today with Pastor uh, McCain, the editor of the Concordia Reader's edition of the Book of Concord, which we use on this show. Unfortunately, Pastor McCain had to cancel, and so we are unable to do that um, special episode for you today. So we, we're very grateful that Pastor Weiss, great confessor that he is, stepped in at the last minute, and he'll uh, he'll be able to, it's still a special episode because you're on here, Pastor Weiss. And so uh, we're, we're very thankful for that. And, uh, and you'll, uh, you'll give us great insight as we continue to push forward in the power and the primacy of the Pope then today. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and dig into it here. So we yeah. have been going through the power and primacy of the Pope. And we have just recently, uh, I, I mean, Melanchthon, this, this is a work of um, uh, great, uh, intelligent, uh, logical uh, proceeding of building the argument and stating the case of what it is that we believe, teach, and confess. And uh, we, we have covered some various sections here sections in here. We have seen the testimony of scripture, the testimony of history. We've refuted the Roman arguments citing scripture, and we've covered all of that. And now we're, we're getting into the meat of the, the real issues and where we're, we're saying this is, this is where we have some, some real issues that uh, we're addressing here. And uh, this, this section that we're going to cover today is titled in the Concordia Reader's Edition, A Contrast Between Christ and the Pope. And I'm just going to set this out from the beginning that this is setting up what we've already referenced on this show a few times, uh, which is that uh, we make a bold claim here, which we also had in the small called articles from Luther, that the office of the papacy, the pope, uh, it, is, is that of an antichrist. And, uh, and that's, that's a bold claim. And, and we'll see as we dig into that next week, that section is a little bit lengthier and we'll, we'll dig into that next week. Um, but in order to make such a claim, it's going to be key that we, we set up, well, how can we make that claim that the office of the papacy, the Pope is an antichrist uh, standing against Christ. And that's where this section comes into a real key distinction that we're, we're contrasting between Christ and the Pope here. Uh, is there, well, I guess first we have to even answer, is there a contrast and then, uh, and, and state that case uh, so that we can then make that claim and, and discuss that in the next section. So that's just kind of a setup, bird's eye view of where we've been, where we're going and, and where this, section that we are coming 
uh, covering today falls in. And so uh, with with just kind of my my setup there, anything that you would like to add, Pastor Weiss, before we dig in and start reading this section on a contrast between Christ and the Pope? Not a lot, just to reemphasize what you just said, that, that um, how important it is if we're going to make the claim that you guys are going to talk about more next week, um, we, we have to see the contrast. Um, and that's why we're moving from the proof text that we look at, where we're not just refuting their arguments, but now we're kind of looking um, big picture. Um, that, that sort of began last week, but, um, but it's amazing, this, and you're going to read it here, but, but the contrast um, is going to make it very quickly, almost, almost just with one or two sentences. Um, all he has to go to is... Um, is the passion, the week of the passion of, of Christ, and, and, and right away you see the contrast. So I, I'd say go ahead and start reading. All right. Although I, I feel like I'm, I'm not above taking side tangents on this show, as our regular listeners definitely know about me. Uh, and, and, and you brought something up interesting there in what you said. You said, you know, I'm proceeding forth from the proof text and, and kind of, you know, Whenever something like that is used, because we we recognize how that is commonly used, uh, especially in our culture and in in the church today, um, you know that that may send off you know especially our our more uh, traditional conservative confessional listeners and so forth. You know, proof texting is not something we Lutherans do, except that right. we do right. Uh, but but <laughs> the way that you used it right, is in the true sense of the term, right? That these are texts that are proof that that uh, what we are confessing, what we are saying is true, because this is clearly taught here in Scripture. Now, the negative way that that is used, the way that we want to avoid, and, and the way that it is certainly not being done in the confessions here, is, is where we pull one verse out of context and, and, and say that that you know, supports our position when if you actually take it in the context, it, it very much is not in support of your position, let alone in the context of the rest of Scripture and so forth. And so when the Lutherans doing it, do it in the Lutheran confessions, and we, we use that term, we're doing it in the true sense of, you know, this is where Scripture supports our case, right? And yeah, so right. It, it's not that which we condemn, which is pulling a verse out of context. As a matter of fact, we point out several places in the Lutheran confessions where the Roman uh, Catholics actually do that negative proof texting themselves, right? Right, and that's actually what I was referring to. I meant dealing with the proof text of the opposition is especially what I was talking about. Um, and you covered that real well last week, where you looked at the the, the, the text that they used as as, as evidence um, that the office of the Pope was valid, um, and then that was followed up. So there was a great contrast last week where you looked at those. Um, proof text of the opposition, if you will. Um, but then, um, again, this, this last paragraph um, that you covered last week, right before where we start, um, there were uh, five passages. And those passages all just pointed to the fact that the apostles were given, um, that the authority they were given was, was a spiritual authority. Um, and that's really going to be even more emphasized um, in, in what you're about to read, I think. All right. So with that then little side tangent covered, we will then dig in as you urged me to do. All right. So this is the power and primacy of the Pope from the Concordia uh, Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from CPH, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And we are picking up with paragraph 32. 
Christ in his passion is crowned with thorns and led forth to be ridiculed in royal purple, citing John 19, verse 2. This symbolizes that in the future, after his spiritual kingdom was despised, i.e., the gospel was suppressed, another kingdom of a worldly kind would be set up with the appearance of churchly power. And then in parentheses, so the Constitution of Boniface VIII and the Chapter Omnis, Distinction 22, and similar opinions are false and godless, for they argue that the Pope is by divine right the ruler of the kingdoms of the world. And parentheses. And I'm just going to make a note here real quick for us that uh, this is something that we have pointed out in the power and primacy quite a lot. This is a major claim of them. And why we're making this logical case here is that they have pointed out that he that the pope is by divine right, the ruler of kingdoms. And so that's what we're addressing here. Now, proceeding forth, picking up with paragraph 34 here. From this notion, horrible darkness has been brought into the church. And after that, Great commotions have arisen in Europe. The ministry of the gospel was neglected, citing Acts 6, verses 1 through 4, 1 Timothy 4, verses 13 through 14. And the knowledge of faith and the spiritual kingdom became extinct. Christian righteousness was assumed to be the outward government the Pope had established. All right, I'm going to pause there. A lot to dig into. So, so references to the spiritual kingdom and then this worldly kind and the Pope claiming kind of both, but then neglecting there. Uh, dig into this. What's going on here? What what are we wrestling with here, Pastor Weist? I, yeah, um, about half the notes I took were on this one little section here. So uh, <laughs> you, you managed the time, okay? Um, the, the first thing, I think, again, just for the, the folks using the reader's edition, there's this big title that says a contrast between Christ and the Pope, and we don't have to go too far into what you read um, before we see that. Um, we've already seen, um, again, the, the case was made using, for example, um, Matthew 28, um, the Great Commission, um, to show that the authority that was given by Christ um, to the apostles, to the church, I should say, was, um, was a spiritual authority. And, and he gave those five passages that, that, that um, pointed to that, that biblical truth. Um, it's, it's sort of like he begins this section um, almost, almost like saying, if, if by these passages, if, if by themselves they're in any way unclear, their meaning, that you don't get um, what this, this um, authority of the, the church is, uh, then look at Jesus. Um, look at him presented... Um, bloody and beaten in a purple robe and, and with a crown of thorns. Um, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, um, I send you in, in John 20, 21. Um, so so that, the, that first sentence where he references John 19 um, is, is so, so important um, in, in, where he's, in terms of a transition going from what we talked about last week to what you'll talk about next week. Um, that's the image that I think we need to have um, and, and, and to keep in our heads is we're, we're talking about any kind of authority, to be honest, um, um, Christ um, preparing to go to the cross and, and Christ on the cross. Um, that, that's where we understand um, whatever authority we've been given, um, that's how we understand how to use that authority. Um, we, we look to Christ, um, Christ's example in this. 
Um, so I, I think that's uh, that's first and foremost. Um, that as, as I, I listened uh, yesterday to to last week's uh, your your archived um, um, show from last week, because um, a part of me wanted you to keep. Re- I know you ran out of time, but keep reading at least to uh, the end of that first sentence where you got to hear that um, that reminder of uh, of Christ with his with his purple robe and his his crown of thorns. And and I think it's important to highlight that as you have, especially jumping back to the the beginning of paragraph thirty one, which we covered last week. And and again, yeah, we did run out of time and probably didn't do enough justice. So feel free to back up if you want to at all. Um, but I'm going to at least back up to that first line in paragraph thirty one. The second article is even clearer. Christ gave the apostles only spiritual power, i.e. the command to teach the gospel, to announce the forgiveness of sins, to administer the sacraments, to excommunicate the godly, godless without bodily force by the word. And, and when, you, when you understand that as being, uh, as I think you kind of said there, you know, uh, the first line in paragraph 32, the example in this is Christ. You know, this, this is the spiritual power. This is the spiritual kingdom, which he establishes and and is and, and it looks very different than we understand in the world. And whenever we, we start getting into making, uh, you know, the, the spiritual kingdom look more like the, the, the worldly kingdoms and what we desire, their power and and influence and things of that nature, we're in a real danger of doing what I think he covers here, which is that the, the spiritual kingdom, the gospel, actually ends up neglected, right? And uh, what what a contrast that Christ himself is in this. I, I, I love the imagery that you you gave us there that, you know, we should, we should picture him bloodied and with this, you know, uh, royal purple robe, um, you know, which was done to mock him uh, by the spiritual, or, or I'm sorry, by the worldly powers. That's a powerful image. And, and thank you for highlighting that as uh, that definitely does connect these sections together. Um, so then go ahead and, and, and go further with your notes there. Cause I know, yeah, as you said, you got a lot to cover here. Well, actually, I I kind of like to play off of that. I right right before um, this um, this broadcast, I I was in a meeting um, with a lady I've never met before, um, who is a principal of a, a a school here locally in Evansville that is kind of the last chance school for kids that have have um, gotten themselves into a lot of trouble. Um, and she was a great example. What we're talking about well, we're not we're, at this point. We're not just talking about. I mean. The example that Christ gives is not just for um, the the church; it's it's for all in authority. Um, and she was a wonderful example of that, um, where where she understood um, she's been put as a principal in a position of power, but she she really understood, and I was impressed by that. She understood uh, her responsibility um, was one of of service. She was given that authority to to serve. Um, so this image of Christ is is not just like for pastors or or even just for Christians, but it's it's it 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 deals with a larger question of authority for the kingdom of the left and of of the right, um, and and I think that's important. And I know this is a, a bit of a, a a digression compared to I mean, based on where this is going, where it's talking about the 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 authority given to the church, but um, but I think for many of us the challenge becomes just looking at um 
the, the, the church as the kingdom of God, um, that's God's, and then the, the secular world kind of belongs to the world or something like that, instead of understanding that both, um, both the church and the state are established by God and belong to God. Um, he, he hasn't picked one and left the other for the, <laughs> for the world or the devil or something like that. Um, he works through both. Um, and, and I think that's an, I don't know if it's the best timing to, to bring that up, but I, I think it's an important point to make that, that we often miss. Um, yeah, I think. The very beginning of Christ is not just an example, like I said, for the church or for pastors, um, but it's, it's an example for all who have been given authority because that authority comes from God. Well, and that's certainly supported by Scripture throughout, right? I mean, Romans 13 makes that abundantly clear for us, among other passages in Scripture, uh, but uh, but probably most clear in Romans 13. And 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 I think that it is a good time to bring it up. But, you know, we would have the theological terminology of this uh, probably m- most commonly heard to our hearers as the two kingdoms theology. However, to, to support what you're saying, and I've made this case on the on the show before, I actually prefer the the language of two realms. Uh, it's one kingdom; it's God's kingdom, and He reigns in two realms: the left and the right. Right the 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 yeah. the, the realm of the world, uh, the kingdom of the world, you might say, uh, as yeah, as they highlight here, and then the, the 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 kingdom of the gospel or the realm of the gospel, that that of the church. Right, and so yeah, go ahead and talk a little more about that. No, I, I like that that distinction using the realms. That's good. Um, yeah, one of the things that I was thinking is, is I was thinking about the, the, what we call the two kingdoms theology was, um, and, and you had mentioned this to me before the show, there, there is in the reader's edition, um, I don't know if folks want to look at it right now, probably not, but, but maybe later, there is an excursus. Um, and my page number was different than yours. I think I have a, the first edition. What page number was that? Do you have that? Uh, 286 in the second edition. 286. It's a, a really nice sum- summary of, of what we're talking about um, to, to look at later on. But it, it, as I was looking at that ahead of time, one of the things that I noticed was, it, it, in fact, there's one sentence that says, the temporal and spiritual estates support each other. Um, and that's almost um, revolutionary thinking <laughs> in our day and age. Um the, the idea that these two things are both given by God and they're complementary, and 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 um, they're complementary. Um, that means they're not the, they're not the same. Um, their functions aren't the same. Um, but but the, but just because their functions aren't the same, it doesn't mean they have to be in conflict. I mean, like we said before, they're they're both gods, and um, boy, those are those are just fundamental principles when it comes to any kind of authority that God gives. I mean, I've had the same conversation about marriage um, or about family relationships. Um, this is just sort of fundamental authority talk. Um, so it's the same principles um, that we've heard applied over and over and over again. And it's one of the things um, I'll, I'll admit to you, I was a, when, when I got to the seminary, I was a bit of a skeptic when it came to the Lutheran confessions. I was sort of one of these, just give me God's word and nothing else um, sort of guys. Um, but the more that I've gotten into it, the more I appreciate it for exactly this reason, um, because the principles are fundamental. You know, basically six chief parts, six things, um, all that revolve around one, one, really just one doctrine, which is that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Don't let anything distract from that. And it, it's from, from that fundamental core thing that we have these six chief parts, and based on those things, um, we we have the, all these wonderful, um, what do you want to call them, all, all these wonderful um, all of this wonderful theology that's developed that helps us deal with, with controversies and, and difficult decisions when they come up. Um, so that even if you don't care about the power and the primacy of the Pope, this is worth looking at because the fundamental principles that are being applied um, can be applied in many, many different ways. Um, and, and more than anything to me, um, I mean, and not that I don't care about this particular theological issue, um, but I have to deal daily with the issue of authority, um, personally and professionally. Um, and, and here we have exactly what we need provided for us. Good stuff. Well, and, and absolutely. I mean, and, and, and not just you daily, right? But we all do. Uh, especially, I mean, you, you, you need look no further than the fourth commandment in Luther's large catechism, right? You know, to honor your father and mother and how that encompasses all authority. And, and he spends a really, like probably the most time he spends on any two things in his large catechism is the first commandment and the fourth commandment. And, yeah. and so it is so foundational to life. And, and I like the word that you use to highlight there for us, um, especially, you know, in, in seeing these, what's commonly called the two kingdoms, you, you highlighted that in that one line in the editorial excursus on page 286 in the second edition, um, you know, calls them estates and so forth. And, and you say complementary, right? And, and that's the, the spelling C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T-A-R-Y, not the C-O-M-P-L-I one, right? And, and so the, the complementary, you can see even in there, you know, the, the same root word as complete, right? You know, it makes them complete. And, and actually, I looked up the definition just because words mean things and it's important, right? And, and uh, I always said I'd never be one of those pastors that just gives a definition, right? You know, to start a sermon or things, but, but I'm going to do it here on the show, right? Combining in such a way as to enhance or emphasize the qualities of each other or another, when we understand that term, right, uh, it, it does, you're, you're right, it, it helps us understand the, the relation of these, these realms, estates, kingdoms, how, whatever language you want to use there. Um, uh, it helps us understand marriage. It helps us understand our relationship to authority and also helps us understand uh, when in authority, especially, uh, you know, our relation to Christ then again, too. Uh, it's just so beautiful. And so it just connects everything together for us and and then proceeds forth to a point that, you know, I, I was uh, with my catechesis students uh, this past week, uh, of course, you know, observing the celebration of the Reformation and so forth, um, going over, you know, some of the things that happened in the Reformation and things like that, and brought in the, the famous Luther line that shows up in the Luther movie as well, right? You know, well, if if the Pope were really so generous, right, and, and so good, you know, why wouldn't he just, you know, you know, grant indulgences freely and, and forgive everyone uh, instead of having them pay for it, right? And and I think that that's a connected in, in issue here as well. If he understood, uh, you know, the 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 kind of leadership that he's called to in the church as being one of service, which you've so you know well 
highlighted for us. That's that's the image that we're given here with Christ. If the Pope were to understand that as service, he he would not require payment for indulgences, right? He would he would grant them freely because that's how you serve God's people. Uh, with just about a minute before we need to take a break, uh, s- some other thoughts there for you. Uh, just I think that's a good setup for after the break. Um, we've talked about complementary, um, and and what what's being set up here is a contrast. What we see is the office of the Pope and the work of Christ. There, they, there's a huge contrast there. Um, and as far as that goes, with with um, especially in Luther's time, with uh, the, the the monstrosity that had been created, um, there was no complementary between state and between church. Um, so we can maybe get back to that after the break. Absolutely. And I definitely want to hit also how that then leads to the neglect of the gospel as they they cite some pretty key uh, verses there as well. And then we got some more ground to cover as well, but lots to talk about. So please come join us right after this break. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Daily Chapel serves those who serve the Lord to be receivers of the Word and to remember where our true help is found. Hear God's Word read, preached, confessed, and sung in the broadcast of Daily Chapel from the LCMS International Center in St. Louis weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues on Tuesday. We'll talk with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller about his journey from American evangelicalism to confessional Lutheranism. We'll also discuss the faith of the Canaanite woman and the Lord's Prayer petition, Thy Kingdom Come on Earth as it is in Heaven, with Pastor Peter Bender. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. And welcome back to Concord Matters as we have with us today, Pastor David Weiss, pastor of Concordia in Evansville, Indiana. And we continue to make our way through the power and primacy of the Pope. And we've been discussing this section, a contrast between Christ and the Pope. And as seems to be usual on this show, we have not made as much headway as we really ought to have. Uh, but uh, 
Great discussion, great setup. Uh, this 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 first section here from paragraphs 32 through 34 that we have already read, uh, we're still digging into it uh, as it really sets up the rest of where he goes in this section, uh, where Melanchthon goes in this section. And so uh, let's continue to to push forward here. Then um, right before the break, we we had discussed that word complementary and our understanding of of the relations there, and we were discussing the two kingdoms or or two realms as I. Prefer uh, theology, and, and then also I, I want to hit this uh, before we move on and read some more. Um, how, how they talk about because of this lack of proper understanding of the the complementary nature of um, you know the, these two kingdoms, the spiritual kingdom and the the worldly kind, as they call it, um, be, because they don't have a right understanding of that, it actually leads to the the ministry of the gospel was neglected. They say that right towards the end of paragraph 34, and they cite Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 4, which which is interesting. You know, Acts 6 is the the neglect of the uh, the widows and receiving the uh, daily distribution of food um, and, and how they highlight there that, you know, it's, it's not good for them, the apostles, to to, to leave the word of God to serve tables. It's a good work that needs to be done. And so they, they, they seek others to set that up. Um, but, uh, you know, the, their primary task is that of the spiritual. Um, and, and that will inform how we understand uh, and care for those in, in the worldly realm needs that they have, right? And then also, uh, I think, interesting that they cite uh, 1 Timothy 4 there as well, Um Pastor Weist, I, I should talk less and let you talk. You're, you're my guest, so go ahead and take us away. Uh, dig us into this. Uh, help us understand what's going on here. Well, I'm, curi- I'm curious what you think about this. I, as I look at this, it seems to me like there's a, um, a, a progression that he describes um, that all starts with the neglect of the gospel. Um, and and there's, there's two phrases. It says, um, starting with 40, 34, from this notion, horrible darkness has been brought into the world, and after that, great commotions have arisen in Europe. Um, and, and later on, uh, around 35, I know we haven't gotten there, but it says, next, the popes began to seize kingdoms for themselves. So it, it seems like the, the process that he's describing, this, this horrible thing that has happened, um, began with the neglect of the gospel. And, and, and let me finish this and see what you think. But it seems like it began with um, the gospel being neglected. And because the gospel was neglected, um, he says, next, knowledge of faith and the spiritual realm was destroyed. And then as a result of that, righteousness was equated with a system that was created um, by the Pope, basically. And then it was as a result of that that all of this um, political tumult in, in Europe started. Um, And and if I'm right about that, what he's saying is, look, all of the trouble, including the political trouble and everything that's going on, um, he's he's blaming on the fact that the church um, neglected the gospel. At least that's what it seems like to me. And I'm curious what you think about that. Oh, I think you're dead on target. And I think that this has a lot to say to us today. As one of the, we always want to highlight the historical context at the time. And I think you've set that up really well because Melanchthon is highlighting that in his very words. He's, he's got that logical progression. And I love how you just very succinctly 
laid that out for us in kind of outline format. And I think you're dead on target there. Uh, but we also on this show want to talk about how that impacts us in the world today. I'm going to put yeah. that on hold, though, until we actually read that. And yeah. and I might back you up in, in this sense, too. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think this is what you're saying. But, you know, the neglect of the gospel is is actually maybe maybe what I'm saying here is that, you know, they've kind of reversed things. Right. They have this mm-hmm. worldly understanding and they're w- worried about worldly power and influence and worldly kingdoms and, you know, the reaching of the church. And that's why they're seizing kingdoms and so forth, because they think that they're making Christianity bigger and stronger and more influential in the world by doing that. When in reality, what's happening then is the loss of the gospel um, and and inventing other things, this this invented righteousness, when the, the, the format that scripture gives to us is that when you start with the gospel, that alone will increase Christianity and that will influence the world and the kingdoms and how we live as citizens in the world. I think this is so foundational for our understanding as we live in this world. Uh, and, and what he's highlighting here is that when you when you reverse, you know, kind of your starting place, if you will, uh, this is this is what happens. This is the danger. And I should have finished my thought, too, that the first Timothy four passage is the specific exhortation to Pastor Timothy from St. Paul uh, that he should give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And he says, don't neglect the gift neglect the gift that is in you, uh, which is given you by prophecy. So in other words, you know, he's he's telling Pastor Timothy, make this your focus and all the other things will work themselves out. And I think especially when you see that in connection with Acts 6, right? Yeah, that's such a great great reference. You know, uh, stick to your vocation, right? And and keep in mind, you you know, you and I, we are, are, are sinners and we're, we're, we're short-sighted. We're mortal. Um, it's it's better to stick to what God has revealed. Um, but we do have this tendency to think I can do that better. You know, <laughs> uh, boy, if the, if the government had 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 me, then then things would be a whole lot better. Or, or sometimes I think about that when it comes to you know um, just other offices within the, the the church body or something like that. But but stick to your stick to your vocation and stick to God's word um, and let. Let God um, be be Lord of these two uh, these two realms. Absolutely, I I think there's more to say on that as well, especially as we apply it to our our lives in this this world today and in our culture. Uh, and I want you to say more on that. However, let me go ahead and read a little more so that we can get more of the context of what was yeah. happening. You you already highlighted some of it, but let me just go ahead and read it here. Okay, so picking up with paragraph 35 under a contrast between Christ and the Pope and the power and primacy of the Pope. Next, the Popes began to seize kingdoms for themselves. They transferred kingdoms. They harassed with unjust excommunications and wars the kings of almost all nations in Europe, but especially the German emperors. Sometimes they did this for the purpose of occupying cities of Italy. Other times they wanted to conquer the bishops of Germany and wrest away from the emperors the right to appoint bishops. In fact, it is even written in the Clementines, when the empire is vacant, the pope is the legitimate successor. The pope has not only seized dominion. Oh, did you want me to stop there? You can keep going. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Okay. The pope has not only seized dominion, which is contrary to Christ's command. He has also exalted himself above all kings like a tyrant. The following should not be 
should not be condemned as much as detested. A, he makes his claim on the authority of Christ. B, he transfers the keys, capital K, so reference to the office of the keys, to a worldly government. And C, then he binds salvation to these godless and criminal opinions when he insists that believing this dominion belongs to him by divine right is necessary for salvation. Since these great errors cloud over the doctrine of faith and Christ's kingdom, they are in no way to be ignored. Their consequences show that they have been great plagues to the church. In the third place, this must be added, even if the bishop of, you know what, I'm going to pause there and we'll save 38 uh, for for the end here. Uh, plenty to dig in, uh, as you highlighted some of it already. Yeah, clearly, uh, what what terrible damage this has actually done to the true nature of the church uh, and its spiritual gospel focus um, at that time, simply because the, the focus was worldly. And and look at the negative impact that it has, the church has on the world. Instead of being the blessing it's designed to be, look at the tumult that was created in Europe. Um, so, yeah, our impact, um, we underestimate our impact. Um and by that, I really mean we underestimate the impact of the power of God's Word, um, the impact of, of our little old vocations that, that we don't always take very seriously, um, but it, it's important. Uh, it, to me, though, the, the most important thing before I get back to trying to apply it, it, it to today is just um, this is a contrast. Um, we heard the first part of the contrast. It was one sentence, right? Jesus with the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Um, heading to the cross. Here, here's the other part of the contrast, and and you know, for anybody who's listening, I can say, how does this compare to Jesus? Um, how does this compare to the image that that Melanchthon gave us of Jesus? Um, this is despicable. Um, using the authority of Christ as a pretext, um, transferring the keys to a worldly dominion. Uh, he he binds salvation to belief in his impious and heinous opinion, um, this obscures faith. Um, this obscures the reign of Christ. It's hard enough in a fallen world uh, to see the love of God in Christ Jesus. If, if the church becomes this, what hope is there for the world? There, there's none at all. Um, these, were, these were serious times. Um, and I, I know these words sometimes seem harsh to people, um, but, but when you consider what's at stake, um, as, as he said at the very end of, of what you read, these great errors cloud over faith in Christ's kingdom. They are in no way to be ignored. We can't ignore this when this, when this sort of thing happens. Yeah, and, and, you know, just the claims that are made, too, you know, we can't ignore those either, right? And... And we kind of covered this, especially last week as well, as as we saw in the proof text, right, use of that term, um, yeah. that, uh, uh, you know, when he claims the authority of Christ, well, Scripture doesn't even give that authority to the Pope, right? It wasn't even to Peter, and we covered that very in detail last week. Um, but, uh, you know, then, then, you know, all of this leads to those errors, and, and we just can't tolerate that, right? Um, 
And then also, I, I was wondering your thought here, too, especially as we apply this to our lives today. You know, I, I think that there's this prevailing thought in America, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here either. I, I think we generally acknowledge this, that uh, we, we view America as a Christian nation, and we think that, that it's very important to have it that way, right? Um, and, and, and I think that we sometimes get caught up in this same line of thinking, that if if only we have this great Christian nation, that Christianity is strengthened in the world because we have great influence in the world as this great, mighty, powerful Christian nation. Now, I'm not saying it's it's bad to desire Christians in leadership of our government uh, or that there be an abundance of Christians in our country either. But I think sometimes maybe we fall into this this same thinking here where we just got to get Christians in there, even if they're in name only. Uh, and, and what we're really concerned with is just the, the might and power of our influence as a as a worldly nation, um, rather than actually seeing I, I, I like what you highlighted. Therefore, is that we, we underestimate the true power and influence that we have. Right. That being of the gospel. And, and if we make that our focus and if we, we are focused there, uh, then that influences the people that live in this country and will influence the people that live in this world then. Right. Um, but but I think our thinking always gets backwards. And and I, I think the the error and and destruction that it's had on us here in our present world today is is for all of that thinking and desire to be a great, mighty Christian nation, we're actually pretty apostate in this country, right? Uh, we see a great complacency and emptying of our churches. Um, and I think it's probably a result of that. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, again, uh, like I said, the, um, keeping our focus, um, reminding one another as we gather together um, of the, the the power, uh, uh, the efficacy of God's word, um, and the importance of um, what God has instituted, um, our vocations, um, instead of self-devised works, like Luther calls them in the fourth commandment when he's criticizing um, people who have come up with all these holy orders instead of just, you know, being husbands and wives and moms and dads. Um, these are important, and again, I would direct your, your folks, I know we, we, we have limited time, I direct your folks again to that excursus on um, the, the two kingdoms, or two realms, because um, at the very end it talks about um, the relationship, that complementary relationship between church and state, um, the church supporting the state by, by um, obedience to authority, love for neighbor, productive labor, um, making good citizens, right? And then the state, in, in the same way, supports the church by providing security and justice and freedom to be able to, to do the work of the church, proclaim the gospel, and, and um, administer the sacraments. And, and these are mutually um, beneficial things that, that have a, if you want to have a worldwide impact, stick to God's word, church, and, and stick to the sacraments, right? Stick to your vocations in your families, um, and, and this is how we, we have an impact. You want a negative impact, um, devise your own works and ignore God's, um, God, these estates that God has, has given us. Um, and, and Melanchthon provides us with plenty of historical evidence here um, that we don't even have a lot of time to go through, but plenty of historical evidence of, of what happens when we devise our, our own estates rather than using the ones that God has given us. Um, it never ends well.
Very the, well um, said. Very, very well highlight. I, I want to highlight the words that you said there. Stick to God's word, church. I mean, I always end my show, keep confessing, church, but you, you may push me on to a new catchphrase to end my show. I don't know. Uh, that, that's, that's certainly a good thought there. Uh, sorry, you were going to have another thought there? Just transition uh, with this, this last part that we haven't read yet. What I, what I love, just going back to Melanchthon as, as, a, as a, a, a writer, <laughs> um, he, he presents this wonderful case. I mean, this has just been wonderful how he's built it. And then here in this last part, if we have time to read it, he says, um, in effect, he's saying as bad as all that is, and he's created, created a, a pretty good case and a pretty gloomy picture, as bad as all that is, let's imagine all that's fine, and there's no problem with it. None of what we've talked about is, is contrary to the gospel. Let's pretend it's all true, um, and the power and the privacy of the Pope is actually divinely instituted, and then he makes a whole new case. And I don't know if you're ready for that, if we have time for that. Yeah, um, let's do but it. I love, that he, and, how, I love how he does that. That's amazing to me, how he, he makes his case, and he's able to step back and start all over again with something new. Yeah, I'm— I'm going to go ahead and read that for us then and let you take us away. And I'm I'm going to back up because I, I think this paragraph 37, uh, it, one, it's just a great, great line that I, I think is making the, the point that we've made here and, and it is our transition and pivot point. So I'm going to read it again uh, just because it's great and then read paragraph 38 and end us and let you take us away. So it says, since these great errors cloud over the doctrine of faith and Christ's kingdom, they are in no way to be ignored. Their consequences show that they have been great plagues to the church. In the third place, this must be added. Even if the Bishop of Rome did have the primacy and superiority by divine right, nevertheless, obedience would not be due those pontiffs who defend godless services, idolatry and doctrine conflicting with the gospel. No, such pontiffs and such a government should be held accursed, as Paul clearly teaches if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, Galatians 1 verse 8. And we must obey God rather than men, Acts 5 verse 29. Likewise, the church laws also clearly teach that a heretical pope is not to be obeyed. And that's in quotes. That's that's one of the church laws. Uh, so our heretical pope is not to be obeyed is, is one of those church laws. Continuing on with what's written here. The Levitical high priest was the chief priest by divine right, Leviticus 8, and yet godless high priests were not to be obeyed, as Jeremiah and other prophets dissented from the high priests, Jeremiah 26, one verse, one, verses 1 through 11. So the apostles dissented from Caiaphas and did not have to obey him, Acts 4, verse 19 through 20, and 5, verse 29. And that ends this section. That's all we're going to be reading today. So go ahead and take us away uh, with what you wanted to highlight there for us. Just simply, again, here's, here's something new. He's made the case. This is, this is not some divinely instituted office, um, and, and he's made a strong case for that. But, but he steps back and he says, but let's pretend like it is. Um, let's pretend this is true. Um, what authority would this um, person in this office of Pope, what would he still be subject to? And he comes up with this long list, Old Testament, New Testament, church fathers, um, and he, he makes the case he would still be subject to God's word, um, and, and he shouldn't be obeyed um, if, if he says something or acts in a way that's contrary to God's word. Um, and, and again, I mean, this is, this is important when, when um, explaining our, our, our um, the scriptures 
the way the scripture handles, um, the way we should handle handle the office of, uh, of of the pope according to the scriptures. Um, but it's also just good principle. Um, I would I would hazard to guess everybody anybody who is listening right now um, is dealing with authority either in in two ways. Um, they're under somebody's authority and they're over somebody. They have authority over somebody. These are good principles um, for you in any situation where you're dealing with authority. Um, the the um, the authority is given to you, and and you are subject to the one who gave you the authority, um, and to whatever rules he set in place in regards to that authority. Um, so again, stick to your vocation. Um, and, and we see this this cataclysmic event that happened in the church and 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 um, in in, in all of Europe, um, because that didn't happen. And the same thing we see happening um, all the time um, in our homes, not just at a, 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 you know, at a, a nationwide or worldwide level, but in our homes, in our congregations, um, because we don't get this right, this issue of authority. So, again, the, the power of the primacy of the Pope is, is, is good for understanding um, how to respond to this office according to the Scriptures, but it's really, really good um, for anybody and everybody that's dealing with the issue of authority at any level, um, this is good stuff to read. Um, and I encourage people to to, um, to open it up and take a good hard look at it. I like the way you laid that, laid that out for us, uh, there for us. Um, I'm, I'm going to push you a little further and sorry if you're not really prepared to do this, but uh, you, I, I like how you brought us even further into um, you know, the, the authority and as it plays out into our families, because that's, that's really the primary, uh, place of, uh, our vocation and life, uh, that, that, uh, especially when we understand the estates of vocation as Luther lays them out in his teaching, that, that's at the center, right? And so I, I talked about our country and, and that's kind of where we generally go and we'll, we'll talk about the church, but even more central than that, is that of the family. So so how, you know, kind of give us an example here or play that out as we have a few minutes to go here yet. Well, um, I don't know if I am prepared for that, but um, I, you already referenced people to where to go, um, and you made an excellent point. Um, go to the Fourth Commandment. Uh, go to large catechism and see what Luther has to say about the Fourth Commandment. When it comes to the second table of the law, um, we're going through the large catechism at our church right now and at Concordia, and the, um, um, we're usually going through a commandment a week. Um, I think it took us three weeks to get through the fourth commandment. It's that much longer, and there's, there's so much to deal with. Um, so um, I, I would really encourage um, the folks that, that want to take this issue of authority and think about it a little bit more. Um, to maybe before they close their book of Concords to take a look at the fourth, uh, a closer look at the fourth commandment and and see what Luther has to say. He can he can I'm I'm going to kind of bail on you, but he can offer a whole lot more, a whole lot more for you than than what I can in a couple of minutes. Um, sorry, I kind of whipped out on you there, but no, that's all right. And 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 you're right. And we we did much worse on this show. I wasn't a host back then. I I was a, a regular guest uh, different times. Uh, when we were going through the large catechism on this show several years ago, and I think we did worse than three weeks in in our trying to make it through. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's to be commended this teaching because when we understand, uh, as I usually say, like ninety two point seven percent of our problems in the church could be un, uh, handled well if we just 
understood our catechisms better, right? And and that is a great place to go because it is central, right? Uh, all authority comes forth from that teaching of the fourth commandment, which is honor your father and mother, right? Family is the starting place for it, right? And when we understand this biblical teaching there in our families and so forth, understanding that our greatest impact is there. If we well catechize our children, right? If we are well catechized ourselves in our responsibility in terms of authority or whatever else it may be, then then that's our primary starting place for making good citizens for for life in in this civil realm, right? Uh, and, mm-hmm. and then that will have an impact on on a on a more faithful nation or or church, right? Is is kind of the next level of the estate of vocation, and then uh, the nation and the world as well outside of that, right? And, and so you know, while I kind of took us already to, you know, kind of the national example of desiring this great Christian nation, we, we need to start more central. And, and so I just wanted to highlight that for us as kind of how that plays out, right? Is that that's our starting place, uh, attend to your vocation, I think you've said a, a few times, and that's absolutely excellent. All right, maybe only about a minute here. Uh, any parting thoughts for you as, as we leave this here today? Well, uh, yeah, uh, just to thank you, um, a little bit apart from the theology, but I, I, I want to thank um, you, I want to thank KFUO, because not many people would take on um, the power and the primacy of the Pope on the radio, <laughs> and, and, and that takes a certain amount of, of, of guts, um, that God's people care about theology, um, and I know many of them do, um, and um, I want to encourage the listeners to, to keep at it, um, to study this stuff. Um, because um, it applies, it applies, um, and and um, it just again, thank you for the uh, the opportunity to participate and be a part of it. It, it always means a lot. Well, absolutely, and I'll return the thanks because not any, anyone would just jump in at the last minute to to help discuss and teach the power and primacy of the Pope without much preparation time. So thank you very much. You're a faithful confessor, and thank you especially for the primary work that you do as a parish pastor there on the front lines. We say it on our radio shows here with KFO all the time. You know, we, we're really, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, supporting uh, the, the work of pastors there on the front lines and so forth, and, and that's why I contribute to this as well. I'm a parish pastor also. And, uh, and and I've recognized the great importance that we have as pastors to be teaching our people. There is the desire by our people. And so, uh, you know, this this just is, is one more avenue of something that we can reference. And if I can contribute to that, then that's helpful. But you're doing great work there in your parish there at Concordia in uh, Evansville, Indiana. Thank you so much, Pastor Weiss, for being with us today, especially last minute. And thank you, dear listener, for stopping by as well. As always, if you have a question or comment that you'd like us to address the next time we convene for Concord, you can reach us by phone, 314-996-1542, email KF kfyo.org or on social media at kfyo radio thanks for stopping by today and until next time stick to god's words church